0: joy the Lord's industry.
1: we are excited to announce that we will resume in-person gatherings once a month on the first Saturday of the month at 5 p.m. at Preston Trail Community Church in McKinney, so make sure to save these important dates. We'll be meeting in-person on Saturday, June 5th, Saturday, July 3rd, Saturday, August 7th, and on Saturday, September 4th, we plan to resume weekly in-person gatherings. So make plans now to join us on the first Saturday of the month this summer for worship, communion, the Word, and some fun family-friendly treats at the end of each worship experience. We cannot wait to see you in person. We'd like to thank each of you that celebrated Converge Church's 10th anniversary with us last month. Great news is we still have some commemorative anniversary box sets available to purchase. The single item boxes are $50 and the double item boxes are $80. We also have new Converge Church t-shirts you can purchase for the summer. You can place your order safely and securely at store.weareconverge.com. Remember to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at We Are Converge, And subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash weareconverge. Make sure to click the notification button so that you can receive the most up-to-date content from Converge Church.
2: there, Converge Nation. Thank you so much for joining us for today's broadcast, week two of our current sermon series, Church in the Wild, where we're discovering God's original and eternal plan for the church. You know, Jesus said it this way, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I've got some good news for you this morning, Converge Nation. You were made for this, (laughs) No, I'll say that again, just in case you missed it. uh, Let me reiterate that you were made for this. Uh, uh, In fact, you were born to win. Uh, That's what Jesus said concerning his church uh, of which you are a part, a part of this organism, not just an organization, but an organism, a living, vibrant, dynamic organism organism. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter number 16. He said, I will build my church, not the structures, not the cathedrals, not the edifices, but I will build my church, the people that's you. And that's me. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Notice the word prevail, Uh, the gates of hell. Remember gates are stagnant, right? Gates don't move. And what Jesus was giving us a picture of was not a church that is on the defensive. He was giving us a picture of a church that is on the offensive and that the gates, the the strongholds of the enemy will not prevail against the forward motion, the forward momentum of his church. You know why? Because you and I were made for this. You were born to win. Come on, somebody, let me go a step further and say that you are spiritually predispositioned, <laughs> come on, to win in every area, in every circumstance, in every challenge that life presents. It was the, uh, Paul who wrote, thanks be to God, who always causes us to triumph That's not a picture of a church that's carefully curated in a museum or like we said last week, uh, animals in a zoo that are spoon fed and, and that are cared for. Not a church carefully curated in a culture of convenience. No, but a church that is forged in the crucible of crisis, not conditioned by culture, but created by God to win even Through crisis. In fact, let me pray (laughs) before I go any further, and I pray that God will open your hearts to be receptive to this new picture. uh, This new picture that God desires uh, to, to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? This new picture that God wants to imprint upon your heart. Uh, This new vision that God wants to reveal and unlock to you of who you are in Christ and who we are in Christ as the church, a victorious, triumphant church that is forged in the wild. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the strong name of our savage Jesus. Lord, I pray today that this word will minister life to your people. Make my tongue as the pen of a ready writer. Give me utterance in the Holy Ghost to speak a word in season to every heart that is weary. Jesus, be exalted, and I thank you that as you are lifted high, you, Lord, will draw all men unto yourself by the Holy Spirit. We trust you for it now. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. You were born for this. In fact, it was Zig Ziglar who said, every child is born to win. But along the way, many are conditioned to lose. I want to challenge some of the conditioning that you have been exposed to through through culture and give you a new image on the inside. Uh, Indelibly uh, mark these, these new pictures and this new revelation of who you are in Christ upon your heart as we navigate our way through the text. You are spiritually, listen to me, predispositioned to win in every area of your life. Uh, in, in science, there are genetic predispositions uh, that 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 would suggest that some have this inherent, intrinsic ability to excel at sports. Uh, uh, and unfortunately, there, there there's this idea in science to prove it that some may have a proclivity toward addictive behavior because of their genetics it's hereditary may i submit to you that the dna that you carry spiritually is the dna of a conquering overcoming victorious and savage jesus that goes beyond anything you may have inherited physically from your mom and from your dad and from your lineage you say pastor ray what are you talking about uh, jump over in john chapter one verse 12 with me let me establish the foundation last week we talked about savage jesus savage me i want to show you evidence listen to me evidence in the text that what jesus carried you also carried by virtue of the new birth because you are born again and you have invited jesus to come in your heart you have received the very resurrection life of jesus that's what the scripture says the same power that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. You have the spiritual DNA to win in life because your life is now connected to the very life of Christ. Notice John chapter 1 and verse 12. It says, but as many as received him. Who is this for? This, this promise. Mm, this truth. This truth belongs to as many as received him well who is he talking to he's talking to anyone who's born again anyone who has experienced the new birth anyone who has trusted jesus as lord and savior when you cross the line of faith and you opened your heart and believed on the lord jesus christ this promise belongs to you and what is the promise He says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right. One translation says he gave the power, the authority, the privilege of becoming, excuse me, children of God to those who believe on his name, who were born, listen to this, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, But we're born of God. You see, Jesus is referring to those of us who, yes, uh, were born of a natural birth, natural circumstances. But he's saying this power belongs to those of us who were born of God. And if you're born again, you are born of God, meaning you carry in you the very nature, the very DNA of God. Because what he's talking about here is not who you are in the natural. He's talking about who you are in spiritual terms. He's talking about how God sees you. And that's why John says in 1 John, as he, Jesus is, so are we in this world. Come on, that's a good place to get excited. He said, well, Pastor Ray, uh, you just read John 1 and 12 to me, but listen, didn't the scripture say, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established? Absolutely. I'm glad you said it. Ding, ding, ding. Notice 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. I want to, I want to stir you up <laughs> and, and remind you that your lineage is in Christ, that your heritage is in Christ, and you carry the same power, the same spiritual DNA that Jesus carried, who was a savage Jesus. 1 John 5 at verse number four, it says, for whatever, notice John one and 12 says that you were born of God. First John chapter five goes a step further and it says, whatever, come on somebody, turn to your neighbor, slap your neighbor, high five, say, that's, that's me. He's talking to me for whatever or whomever is born of God overcomes the world (laughs) and this is the victory that overcomes the world even our faith notice this is a statement that includes every single one of us who has been born of God notice what it says whoever whatever is born of God overcomes the world listen to me what does that mean you are an overcomer (laughs) You are more than a conqueror by virtue of what Jesus did. That means no matter what life throws at you, if you will allow the life of God that, is, uh, uh, that it is resident within you, and let me qualify what that means. It may be resident within you, but it may not be quickened within you. You know what that means? It's resident within you, but it could be dormant. And what God wants us to remember what god wants us to realize what god wants us to recognize is on the inside of you when you were born again there was a deposit of the resurrection life of jesus that was that was placed inside of you that may be dormant but inside of that resurrection life that you carry as an earthen vessel as an earthen vessel is the ability is the authority to overcome everything notice what it says Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And here's the victory. The victory that overcomes the world is our faith. So you carry this DNA spiritually of our savage Jesus. (sighs) Come on, somebody. Say, Pastor Ray, well, uh, what do I do with with my feelings of anxiety? What do I do when life just throws curveballs at me? And I have to grapple with worry. Well, what do I do with these emotions where I'm, I'm moved to tears? Yeah, absolutely. Jesus wept when his friend uh, uh, Lazarus uh, was laid to rest in a tomb. Jesus was in another place, moved with compassion because he saw the people as, as those who uh, were harassed because they had no shepherd. Jesus was in touch With the most subtle emotions that you and i will ever experience yet jesus gives us the power to overcome not to invalidate our feelings not to deny our feelings but in the midst of those feelings find the strength the grace of god which is sufficient for us to overcome what life throws at us he doesn't want us to live there yeah He wants us to process our pain. In fact, he wants for the grief cycle to run its course. And if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times at Converge Church. When you complete your grief, then you can continue your growth. So what we're not saying is this. We're not saying deny uh, the pain. We're not saying deny what you're experiencing emotionally. We're saying yes, yes recognize that even Jesus wept. Even Jesus dealt with big questions when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But listen to this, he didn't stay there. I was having a great conversation with Dexter and Andrea Jackson, and uh, we were just talking about what it looks like to live in this COVID-19 reality. And they shared something that Pastor Mike Todd of Transformation Church in Tulsa said in one of his recent sermons. Uh, Pastor Mike, and, and this may not be verbatim, but he said something to this effect. The big idea was simply this. It's not really the decision that matters. It's the decision you make before you have to decide that really matters. Let me back that thing up. It's not the decision that you have to make now that matters. It's the decisions you made before. You got to this point of decision-making that really matters. Let me break it down for you. The way we say it here at Converge is simply this. What you decide in your Gethsemane determines your response to Calvary. When Jesus was on the cross, that wasn't just something he came up with and said, you know what? I could call down angels from heaven to get me off this cross. No, 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 no. no. There were things that he had decided, decisions he had made in Gethsemane that that informed his response to everything that happened from Gethsemane to Calvary, including the Via Dolorosa, where he was beaten, spit upon. And that's what Jesus wants us to recognize. You can overcome the world. No matter what the world throws at you, you say, okay, got it. Let me give you a third witness. The witness in Galatians chapter two. I'm trying to establish the fact that you are built. You're built for this. You're made for this. You and I were born to win, not in our own strength, not in our own ability, but the strength and the grace that originates in the resurrection life, and the resurrection power of Jesus. That's why he went to the cross, so that you and I could win, not only in the life to come, but so that we can win in the life that now is. Galatians chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2, beginning at verse 20. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, and I'll be reading from the Passion Translation. These are the words of Paul to the church in Galatia. And he writes, my old identity, come on somebody, <laughs> the way I was, the way I used to be, my old identity has been co-crucified with Christ and no longer lives. Slap your neighbor and say, I'm a dead man walking. Woo! Now slap your other neighbor and say, dead man walking. That old man no longer lives. Lives. Notice what he says next. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the anointed one lives his life through me. I want you to hear that. Right now, if you're born again, Jesus is living his life through you. Your old man crucified, he is no more. What animates me? What gives me life? is this new life that I have in Christ. Uh, Paul goes on and says, we live in union as one. My new life, I want you to hear this. My new life is empowered by the faith of the son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me. Here it is, dispensing his life, dispensing his life, Pouring out his life into mine. You see why we can win in life? It's not because of our achievements. It's not of our because of our aptitude. It's not because of our accomplishments. It's not because of life's accolades. Listen, the only reason you and I can win in life is because of the life of Christ that flows through us. Notice what my mentor, Bishop Darlingston Johnson says, Concerning this new life we have in Christ, he says Jesus is not a spectator or cheerleader, and that's the way most of us have seen him. We we see Jesus as as a spectator or a cheerleader cheering us on, and we're just running through life and stumbling through life. And he say, "Attaboy, don't quit. You're gonna get to the finish line." But Jesus is so much more than a spectator or a cheerleader. Uh, He's not cheering us on from above while we engage the opponent on the field of play. He is on the field, blocking the opponent's advances. He's dribbling the ball, executing the offense and scoring the points on our behalf. We get to join him on the field of play. Here it is by presenting our bodies to him and letting him instrumentalize them for his glory romans 12 1 and 2 we present our bodies as living sacrifices and who gives life to our surrendered yielded bodies it is jesus in us so we want you to see we want you to see your life in a whole new light he's not asking you to do it in your own ability He's not asking you to do it because of your, your willpower. He's saying, I want you to surrender your life. I want you to surrender your life so that my strength in you, my life in you can do the living for you. That's why John said in John chapter 3 and verse 30, I must decrease. And he must increase. I must decrease so that he can increase. What does that mean? So that the life of Christ in me can increase. So that I'm not relying on my own strength or my own ability. But I'm activating this dormant resurrection power so that I can overcome and win just as Jesus overcame and won in every area of life. Notice Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 10. This may sound as a rebuke, but I think of it as a more, one of the most comforting passages because of everything we have established. Because of the greater one who lives in us. Proverbs 24 and verse 10. Notice the New King James Version. It says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. That could sound like such a mean, harsh thing to suggest that when life gets hard and I faint that I'm a weakling Uh, notice notice how it reads in the message it says if you fall to pieces in a crisis there wasn't much to you in the first place wow how insensitive come on now could you just really uh uh, help me work through this hard place notice how it reads in the living bible it says you are a poor specimen if you can't stand the pressure of adversity. Listen, this ain't Pastor Rayo, this is scripture. Now, why would these words be recorded in the canon of scripture? It's recorded in the canon of scripture to simply see that the greater one lives in you. And because he does, you are built to win and overcome adversity, and to win through crisis. Are y'all with me? No one in scripture, no one in scripture did it better. Well, Jesus is the ultimate example of what an overcomer and one who is more than a conqueror looks like. I'm not trying to minimize that at all. But humanly speaking, humanly speaking, one of the finest examples of what it looks like To yield to the resurrected life is Joseph. I'm going to introduce the story of Joseph today, but over the next several weeks, we're going to unpack what it looks like to yield to God, to yield ourselves to God so that the grace of God that is already resident within us can move from dormancy to activation. So here it is, here it is, here it is. Uh, You've heard us uh, say this before. Uh, In fact, it bears repeating because this gives us uh, an understanding of the ways of God in human affairs. Here it is. Uh, uh, Understand the plan. Follow the pattern. Receive the promise. Uh, Say that with me again. Understand the plan. Follow the pattern receive the promise. There is a fourth movement in the ways of God that we will unpack uh, here today, but even further in the weeks to come. So here it is. God has a plan. He takes us through a process so that we can receive the promise and he can fulfill his purpose. There it is. Ultimately, ultimately the plan of God exists so that he can take us through a process And that process is for our refinement and for our development so that we can receive his promise and ultimately so that his purpose in the earth can be fulfilled through us. So what does that mean? A process. Here it is. And I hope you're taking notes because this will will help you understand right where you are right now. And this is important because where you are right now may look absolutely nothing like what your neighbor is going through right now. What I'm experiencing right now in this season of my life may look absolutely nothing like what is happening in your life. So turn to your neighbor and say, stay in your lane. (laughs) Stay in your lane. Run your race. Run your race. Because the process God is taking you through is not the same process he might be taking me through in this season and in this chapter of your life. In fact, that's the title of this This message, chapters, chapters, chapters. God weaves in and out of the chapters of our life. You know why? Because he's both the author and the finisher of our faith. And last week we said it. it, We said sometimes we throw the book away. Sometimes we put the book down because we, we... We're overwhelmed and overtaken by this one chapter of our life. We don't like the characters that are introduced in this chapter. In fact, we don't like what's happening to us in this chapter. But may I borrow from Shakespeare who said, all the world is a stage and all the men and women are merely players. Come on. They have their exits and their entrances. And one man, in his time, plays many parts. Somebody say chapters, chapters. Listen, this life is filled with entrances and exits. It's filled with scenes and it's filled with acts. It's filled with roles and relationships. It's filled with seasons, but it's filled with chapters. And those chapters are unavoidable. Those chapters are inescapable. And if you're going to get to the end of the book, come on, somebody, which has a glorious ending, In your favor you have to make it through this chapter (laughs) and you have to make it through the next chapter not in your own strength but as we established in the strength that comes from your union with this savage Jesus so here's the life of Joseph come on somebody are y'all tracking with me are y'all tracking with me okay I heard it the second time come on here it is a process process is a systematic series of actions directed to a specific end. I'll read that again. A systematic series of actions directed to a specific end. So when we say God is taking you through a process, God is taking you through a series of actions, none of them random or haphazard, none of them reactive, all of them intentional, all of them deliberate, all of them proactive. Why? Because all those actions are directed to a specific end. God has the end in mind. Remember what Jeremiah said or Isaiah said that God sees the end from the beginning. He sees something that you can't see in this chapter, but he's the author. He knows the story of your life. He sees the end of the story of your life from the very beginning. Are y'all tracking with me? Okay, so here we go. Uh, Psalm 105 verse 19. In the New King James, again, we're introducing the process of God as it unfolded in chapters of Joseph's life. And the reason I'm doing this is because if you can appreciate the chapter you're in, it will give you the strength and the endurance and the willingness to yield to the process of God and recognize that this thing is for my good and ultimately for God's glory. So here it is. Psalm 105 verse 19, this is in the New King James Version, it says, until, until the time, come on somebody, the vision and the fulfillment of the vision are for an appointed time. Until the time that his word came to pass, speaking of Joseph, the word of the Lord tested him. Until the fullness of time came, what did God do? God tested Joseph Joseph. He took him through a process. He took him through a systematic series of actions that were directed to a specific end. The New Living Translation says it this way, until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. What's God doing? He's testing your character and mine because God will never allow you the grace of God will never take you to a place where your character can't sustain you because that's going to be destructive. If God ever elevated you to a place, gave you a seat at the table, and your character couldn't sustain you, you would experience self-sabotage. So God develops our character again in the crucible of crisis to prepare us for where he's taking us next and where he's taking us ultimately. So until the time (laughs) uh, of his word came to pass, the Lord tested Joseph's character. And we're going to talk about these tests. We're just going to introduce these tests and we're going to deep dive them next week. Are you ready? Here we go. Uh, In fact, the word test in the Hebrew is the word seraph. The Hebrew word for test is seraph. And it, it simply means to refine. It means to purge, it means to purify, and it means to separate. What's God doing when he takes us through a test? Listen, he's purging us, he's purifying us, and he's separating what's worthless from what is priceless. There's a separation happening, and it could be in your life personally, it could be happening in your your life relationally, but there is a separation happening in this season that is ordained of God. Just as God had to separate Joseph from his family. You know why? Because God does his best work in isolation, where you and I are free from distraction. And so what? Let me go a step further. It may seem like isolation, but what if it's really insulation? That God is doing something so special. That God is doing something so personal. That God is doing something so private that the separation is Absolutely necessary and essential as he prepares you for where he's taking next. Because it's not going to happen by majority rule and it's not going to happen because of public opinion. God is going to do something in secret in this season that in the next chapter he will reward openly for all to see. So here's the process. I'm going to read through them quickly and we'll, we'll jump, we'll, we'll deep dive this next week. Here it is. Uh, these tests are not original with me, lest I be guilty of plagiarism. Pastor Robert Morris, who I love and adore, one of the finest teachers in the body of Christ, a senior pastor at Gateway Church, wrote a phenomenal book. Uh, and I forget the name of the book now, but it's about the life of Joseph and he lists these tests. But listen, I'm going to put my own little something-something on it. Come on, somebody. (laughs) I'm going to put my own flavor and seasoning on it. But these tests are not original with me. Uh, I'll share that next week because the name of the book escapes me now. But here are the tests. The first test that you and I, and I want you to locate yourself, right? Because everybody is in a different stage of their race. Everybody is in a different chapter of their story. But you're somewhere in one of these tests right now. But what God wants to do is activate his DNA in you, stir it up, separate what's worthless from what is priceless. So here it is. Here it is. Number one, the pride test. The pride test. And that's the test that usually happens when the dream comes. God gives you this dream and it is glorious and it is grand. It is. In fact, it exceeds. Anything you've ever asked or imagined, Ephesians 3 and 20. The, and often our response to the dream, if we're not surrendered and submitted to Christ, is pride. Uh, Joseph, guess what he did? He does in Genesis 37, verses 5 through 10. He goes and tells his brothers and he tells his his, his parents: guess what? All of y'all gonna bow to me. It's a a picture of immaturity. And there's so many people, when God gives them a dream, they think, they think that the dream is for this moment. And some of you watching this think that the dream God has shown you is to be self-serving. All of y'all gonna bow to me. All of y'all gonna be my servants. We're gonna get deep, deep down into all of this, baby, because part of what God wants to strip away from you, one of the things that is worthless that God can't take into the next you can't bring with you into the next chapter is pride. And that's some of what needs to be purged and purified and separated. The pride test. What is your response when the dream comes? Is it pride or is it tremendous humility? In the light of what God is entrusting to you to steward the second test the second test is the pit test the pit test notice when 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 Joseph in his pride told his brothers what the dream was their response was to throw him in the pit. Yeesh. The pit test comes when the enemy comes against the dream. And there are some of you who. uh, In your excitement may not have been pride. But you just shared your dream with your circle, only to realize that not everybody (laughs) in your circle is in your corner. And not everybody in Joseph's circle was in his corner, even though they were his flesh and blood, and it resulted in the pit. We'll talk about this in the weeks to come. Be careful who you share the dream with. Sometimes it's in excitement, but sometimes it's naivete. Sometimes it's immaturity. And that's what the pit test is about. Genesis 37, 12 through 18. Then there's the palace test. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going in the wrong order. Yeah, the palace test. How well can I steward what belongs to someone else? This is what happens in Potiphar's house. Uh, Even though Joseph has been mistreated, he still stewards well what belongs to someone else. That is Genesis chapter 39, verses one through six. Then there's the purity test. How well can I steward my own body and my desires? Remember his encounter, Joseph's encounter with Potiphar's wife, Hotiphar? This was also a test, where Dave, Joseph must now separate what is worthless from what is priceless. Uh, the next test, test number five, is the prison test. When doing the right thing produces unintended consequences. Come on, some of you on this broadcast today have found yourself in a prison, not because you did anything wrong, but because you were falsely accused. And Joseph finds himself in prison, not because he did anything wrong, but because he honored God and did everything right. The prison test is, can I handle being wrongly mis? Can I handle being mistreated, being mishandled for doing the right thing? God, all I was doing was honoring you, and here I am in this prison. That's the prison test. Can I still give my best and steward an injustice that has been perpetrated against me? We're going to get into this because what Joseph is revealing is the savage nature of Jesus. That you can still do the right thing when you've been wrongfully treated. You and Listen to me, you have the capacity on the inside of you because of Jesus who indwells you. Yeah, you do. You and I both do. And the more we yield to the presence of Jesus on the inside of us, we can do hard things. Whether it's mistreatment in your family, whether it's mistreatment on the job, whether it's mistreatment with people, I'm talking about the the church that Jesus envisioned. And I'm talking about a real person, flesh and blood, just like you and me, just like you and me. You have the ability to overcome the world because you and I have been born of God and everything, whatever is born of God, overcomes the world. Everything the world tro- throws at us, even when it's unjust and it's unfair. Notice the story is about, can you still give the best of who you are when you've been mistreated? Can you be better when you could be justified in being bitter? I don't know why I'm hanging out here. I got to move on. We're going to get into this next week. We gonna Because this is what the church in the wild looks like a victorious church that overcomes every obstacle and sees the opportunity and gains perspective in the midst of life's problems. Here it is. Here it is. I'm about to close the prophetic test, the prophetic test. Genesis 39 verses 21 through 22. How am I allowing God's word to mold me? That's the big question. When life doesn't seem to look anything like the dream God gave you, you. when there's this cognitive dissonance mm, between your expectations and life's experiences, there's this dissonance where there should be resonance. Can you allow the prophetic word of God to mold you and say, God said it and my life doesn't look like it, but I trust him in the midst of it. Uh, Here's the next one, the power test. Uh, The power test happens when you are tested with authority. Genesis 42, verses 6 through 12. Then there's the prosperity test. Uh, When you are tested with success. Come on, somebody. And this is one of the things that exposes so many of us. We may make it through all these other tests, but man, once you get that power, once you get that prosperity and it begins to magnify who you've always been, that's where many of us fall off The wagon the prosperity test God doesn't only test us with difficulty and hardship and insufficiency sometimes one of the the biggest tests that you and I will ever encounter is our response to success because our successes will only magnify who we really are and who we've always been and finally I'm sorry last two the pardon test the pardon test when you are confronted with unforgiveness and bitterness, uh, Genesis 45 verses one through eight, the pardon test happens when you and I are confronted with an opportunity to harbor unforgiveness, resentment, and bitterness in our hearts. And finally, the purpose test, the purpose test. And the purpose test happens when your pain God's plan, God's promise, and God's purpose intersect. When there is a convergence of these four things, that's when we experience and that's when we pass the purpose test. When your pain, God's plan, God's promise, and his purpose intersect, Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. Because when those four things intersect, what we receive from it, The end game, the fruit of it is perspective. Notice Joseph's words. And as I close, this is my final close, y'all. Genesis 50 and verse 20. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. After we have successfully passed these tests and God causes us to step into purpose where he moves us from contentment Beyond resentment into fulfillment, it's usually because we've gained the right perspective. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, notice the words of Joseph, you intended to harm me. His audience is his brothers who had thrown him in a pit 13 years prior. Hey, but God had been so good to Joseph that his brothers didn't even recognize him. Come on. He looked absolutely nothing like what he had been through. And let that be a word to somebody this morning. God is going to bring you out in such a profound way that you're going to look absolutely nothing like what you've been through. Ain't even going to recognize you. Your haters, your detractors, your enemies, Every. One who tried to put a stumbling block in front of you because you now have perspective. And this is what Joseph said. You intended to harm me. You thought this thing was going to destroy me. But notice what he says next. After he has been through these tests and receives the perspective of God. He says, you intended to harm me, but God. Come on somebody, there's a but God in your story. There's a but God coming in one chapter, some chapter of your story. There is a but God. He says, but God intended it all for good. Come on, He's, he caused all of this to work together for my good and ultimately for his glory. He said, he brought me, he brought me to this position so I could save the lives Of many people. You know what Joseph was saying? What I went through. Wasn't really about what I was going through. Ultimately it was what God was taking me to. You intended it for evil. God intended it for good. But what did God see the whole time? He had to bring me to this place. So that many lives would be saved. In the midst of a famine. It was never about you. Come on, let me put it this way. It was never about them. It was never about you. It was always about God. And what you're going through right now is one one chapter in your savage story. The savage story of the life that Jesus is living through you. Every man has his entrance and his exit. And over time, one man in his time plays many parts because the chapters change and the storylines change. But listen to me. It's not about them. Baby, I hate to bust your bubble. It ain't about you either. It's all about him because you are just one character with one storyline in the grand story of Jesus. And this is your chapter that he has equipped you to overcome and to live out triumphantly. Let me pray for you now. Father, we come to you now, once again, in the strong name of Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for each chapter of our lives that is unfolding, that is unfolding one circumstance, one opportunity at a time. Father, help us to always recognize that Jesus is at the center of of it all and father for those of us who look outward to the stands of like life looking for you out there somewhere help us to recognize from this day forward that you're not a spectator or a cheerleader that you're on the pitch you're on the field of play you're on the basketball court you're in the octagon with us and we just get to do it with you Jesus you're fighting for us it is your resurrection life Uh, that is alive within us, that empowers us and enables us to win in every area of life. So Lord, we thank you that today we have an opportunity to activate, to fan into flame the gift of God that is within us. And that gift is the Holy Spirit, Jesus living in us by his spirit that releases resurrection life the greater one living within us because whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is that victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. We choose to trust you now as we navigate what happens now and what happens next because of your strong, gracious hand upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning uh, and you just have questions about God, you want to know what it looks like to come into union with Christ and to be a devoted Christ follower. Our team is available to pray with you. Our team is available to answer your big questions about God. Would you send us uh, an email to info at weareconverged.com and someone from our team will respond quickly and uh, and pray with you and answer your questions. Questions. And we also have some resources we'd love to send to you. You may need a Bible. We want to send you a Bible. Uh, It's our gift to you. And and you may just need some uh, reading material to understand this story, this grand story of God. We have a great resource called Fresh Start with God. Fresh Start with God. We want to put that in your hands as well to help you jumpstart your walk, your relationship with this savage Jesus so that you too can be an overcomer. We love you. God bless you. We'll see you next week.
1: If you were impacted by today's message, we would love to hear from you. Maybe today's sermon was exactly what you needed to hear. Or you prayed the prayer of salvation for the first time. If so, we would love to send you some information to help you kickstart your relationship with God. Or if you want more information on how to join our virtual family, email us at info at weareconverged.com. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can do so online safely and securely at www.weareconverged.com give. You can also text 77977, type in converge give and the dollar amount. You can also find all of this information on our mobile app. Simply open your app or Play Store, search Converge Church Plano and download the app. It's that easy. Thank you again for joining us for today's worship experience. We look forward to staying connected with you.